Hey everyone, I'm so excited to share that I just had an amazing interview with Rich Palmer, the managing director of Launchpad Group, one of the largest angel groups in the world, and they're based right here in Boston. They've helped so many companies grow in tech and science-based sectors, and on today's episode, we dive into how founders can fund their venture. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome to Hey Founded, Boston's top startup podcast. We're recording, so... Just to start off, uh, I hate like starting off and being like, hi, how are you? Like, I haven't been talking to you for like a few minutes. So just to start off, why don't you just tell everyone who you are, what you do, what you're up to in Boston? Yeah. So uh, first off, thanks for having me, Justin. Really appreciate the opportunity. Um, name is Rich Palmer. Uh, I am a managing director at Launchpad Venture Group, uh, which is basically, you know, one of the largest angel groups in the entire world and focused mostly in the Northeast, New England, Boston area. Um, before that, I spent uh, about 18 months in the wilderness advising companies, investing in companies because I had spent uh, about five, six years running an AI company that I co-founded uh, and ultimately sold to a private equity group um, right before and then during the pandemic. So it was a perfect time to sort of see business on hard mode, uh, if you will. Um, so between starting a bunch of different companies, um, beginning my career in the corporate world on Wall Street, and then being part of another company that raised about $120 million to do business and data analytics. So I've had the opportunity to do all sorts of different things, FinTech, AI, big data, healthcare, and now uh, I just get to return the favor and work with awesome entrepreneurs all day. So it's... That's what I do. I'm not good at much else, but that's what I'm good at. <laughs> that's great. Um, I'm really excited to have you on the show. If anyone's ever raised money or worked in the startup scene in Boston, they surely know what Launchpad is. Um, so thank you again. Um, what I really want to talk to you a little bit about was funding your venture. I think um, you can offer a unique insight, both from the perspective of an entrepreneur as well as an investor. And so just to start it off, I, I think it'd be kind of helpful to know what is out there for startups? What what type of funding is available? Yeah, it all depends on like what your end goal is. And I usually talk to entrepreneurs about this. Um, if you want to do a brick and mortar retail kind of business, which is where actually a lot of funding comes from, it's not from venture, it's not from angels, it's not from anything like that. Um, a last I heard is about 50, 50% of funding comes through sort of just like traditional bank style funding for that kind of stuff. So the VC and angel world that we all think about when we think about startups is really only like 5% of all funding. Um, and so if a company wants to go down that path, it's usually like, you know, we are A, probably not going to be great for you uh, in the venture world. Um, and B, we might not even take the call. Similar to like a lifestyle business where let's say your intention is to stay private, spin off cash, uh, maybe just, you know, create a nice little passive income business or something like that. Um, grunt work, bootstrapping and revenue are your best investors for that. For these sort of venture scale businesses, which is what I usually focus on, um, usually it's it's sort of a couple of different paths. So usually we won't underwrite a business that doesn't kind of have a product in not necessarily even in market you can be pre-revenue mm -hmm. but once the product you know going from powerpoints to your mvp is usually the stage for you ever hear of the three f's i have friends friends family and fools <laughs> 
that's where, you know, the people that love you for you and just want to root for you, like maybe you need some money to run some marketing um, experiments. Maybe you need money if you're non-technical to do the first version of the MVP, something like that. That money comes from folks who are investing in you, right? Yeah. And usually that's the FFF, the friends and family round. They forget about the last one. <laughs> the, the last one's important. Okay. The last one's the fun one, right? Um, but then you go in through the typical stages, right? Of like fundraising round to fundraising round and sort of de-risking things through time, right? Mm. So the first one is, can this, mar- can this product even be built? And then you go into product market fit. Does the market actually want what I built? Mm-hmm. And then you go further into how do I accelerate, given the, the product, the market adoption through time. And then you just keep going up and up and up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's... Boston's amazing, especially in the student world. You know, there's a hundred schools in a 10 square mile radius. It's like 500,000 students the last time I heard uh, that go through. So like angels, uh, VC firms, accelerators, professors, all the funding available. That's like, Mm. doesn't take equity. It's called non-dilutive funding. It's just, it's all there for you. It's an amazing, amazing place to start a business. Yeah. So it, it sounds like there is money out there, which is, which is great. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your experience with your AI business. What was kind of the the funding um, journey with them? Yeah, yeah. So we pitched about a hundred times in the first year at competitions <laughs> at, for investors and with with uh, with potential sales. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I know we'll probably get to you know best practices. One of the things entrepreneurs um, often. Uh, find hard a hard pill to swallow. I'm not going to say they do it wrong because there's many ways to do things. But when they arrive to you know a big angel group or a VC and they haven't like polished that pitch or not through all like the nuances of the business, um, it we're usually the 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 bad first choice for that feedback. Usually, it's yeah. better to get a couple of reps in your belt ahead of time. So mm-hmm. what we did. Um, I actually started the business when I was doing my MBA at Babson College and pitched at local competitions, talked to a bunch of my professors, you know, some on the finance side, some on the marketing side, some on the entrepreneurship side to really say, like, what am I not thinking about here? There's a classic slide in a lot of pitch decks. It's a two by two matrix of, you know, you put uh, yourself in the top right corner and then all of your competitors somewhere else right on there yeah and you talk about why you're differentiated i had a professor look at ours and just basically school us on how we were thinking about it and where we were actually positioned and it caused us to rethink our whole business model right and so arriving there when it was safe (laughs) uh before you come and actually ask people for money is always like a really good thing we had the chance to do um pitches that you know dorm room fun and rough draft ventures go to some larger stages like south by southwest uh on austin some things like that so a lot of practice before the real you know the real game so um that's that's a lot of what we did and we networked the heck out of things in the early days so one way i like to often approach it is if you get to meet an investor or an angel um for example, one of ours uh, was connected to the university, and we asked this gentleman, who else do you like to invest with? Not who you can introduce us to, because that's a question that's like, huh, uh, I don't know, I'll try to introduce you to someone nice, versus people you like to co-invest with, it's sort of pocketing money together. Mm-hmm. And so that's like pretty tactical. 
The second, who you should invest with. Okay, that's who do you? That's a, that's an interesting question. Okay, who do you like to invest with? And then all of a sudden, they're showing up at the meetings with us, and they're showing up at the country clubs that you're pitching at as a you know as a young entrepreneur. It's so strange to be just in a room full of people that want to help you and have like way more money than ever. You're like, how did I get here? What's going on? Yeah, it's and you're afraid to eat. You're like, oh, really? I don't want to like get anything on me. So you're just having like a little salad while you're starving. Oh, it's it's brutal. But on the flip side too, like a lot of my investors are really lucky. Where um were classmates of mine that either were, you know, pretty privileged and had had the ability to be um, accredited investors, came from, they had family members who are investors. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, doing well in class, helping them out was another way to like kind of really easily and I say safely, like psychologically safe. They 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 trusted me. Um, that's where, where we got our first folks. And then we just kept networking out from there. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, my next question for you is why should entrepreneurs look for funding? <laughs> yeah. It's a, that's a great sort of macro question, right? Mm-hmm. When you come and get funding, you, you're giving something up, right? You're giving up part of your company. Um, and the whole goal of like, let's say you have, you're trying to raise a million dollars and you're, you know, I've come, you come to me, we talk about the traction you're at mm-hmm. and we value the business pre-money at 4 million, right? The very next second after uh, the wire gets cashed, your business is literally now worth $5 million. Yeah. True. And our goal then is to move from point A, which is now to point B, which is the end of your runway and try to make that reality, grow into that valuation, right? And so a lot of entrepreneurs, like when they've sort of de-risked the business, like I, like I was mentioning, the product is launched. Maybe they have a couple early co- early customers, pilots that are just about to convert. That's the right time, in my opinion, to raise outside funding mm-hmm. because then you've de-risked some of the things that I would be concerned about as an angel or as a yeah. VC. Um, and again, you could go down that path and say, actually, I love this, but I want to be a, I want to do this as a consulting services business, or I want to do this as a lifestyle business or whatever. You're sort of de-risking both the business and your own philosophy as a founder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so making sure that your philosophy matches venture and your business is ready for it, that's when you should do it, right? Okay. And if I can go a little deeper, I guess what we often see at Launchpad is we're... Um, not necessarily underwriting like sales and commercialization risk, but we're un- underwriting product market fit risk. Does this product solve a big enough need or a real enough need mm-hmm. for the market to sort of sink their teeth into it and then start to grow? And then next rounds of funding might go and push that further once you have repeated sales, once you've recurred a couple, you know, had some recurring uh, revenue and any of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, and it's all to just keep growing the business as fast as you possibly can. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to go on a slight tangent. Um, okay. So my next question for you is when to look for funding. And I think you kind of explained that right now. But um, I, I guess you kind of mentioned you look for early signs of product market fit almost and then see if you can you know, reasonably predict whether or not this market exists. What are some strong indicators for potential product market fit? Yeah, I mean, that's that's really interesting. I have a simple one 
uh, it's maybe sometimes too simple, but mm. when you can sell your product to a stranger for full price, you are on the fast with your product market fit. Right? Okay. When you sell, not a, not a cousin, not a not a cousin, not a not yet, which is how it starts, right? It's great. You start that way. You bring those people into, you know, one of the first things that we did with our company was um, we were trying to sell to colleges, um, hospitals, nonprofit, bigger nonprofits. And they, they really like to sell from each other or buy, buy from each other, like in terms of what their peers are um, finding success with. So we put together what was called an exploratory board of advisors in the early stages, which was people that just liked us for us. Like they kind of understood the product. They didn't really understand AI and not many people did at that point. And they just kind of got together and we, we had one, we had two simple asks for them. One, can we use your name and picture on slides when we pitch so we can seem bigger than we are. Right. Um, and two, when the time comes and we're trying to like close a sale, will you pick up the phone and vouch for us? Mm -hmm. Cause that's who the stranger called. Um, and that's sort of where I see that early product market fit concept is like somebody, somebody's willing to pay or willing to give you value to just, and it's not necessarily always money. Like we had yeah. some early clients where what we really wanted out of them was a webinar they joined us on, yeah. or what we really wanted was a case study that they went through their legal department and stamped their logo on right next to ours. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like full value might be an even better way of saying it. For sure. Um, yeah, because it's not product market fit if you're giving away a dollar twenty five and getting a dollar back. It's just giving away free money, right? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're buying. You're buying eyeballs, which is a fine way to grow certain businesses, but you're not really sure if people care until you turn that spigot all the way up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. Well, I appreciate it. Um, my next question for you is, how should founders think about approaching investors? Um, I know that. People are probably kind of scared, confused, um, unsure about how to do it. Um, what are specific ways to get in touch? Yeah, and this is a tough one. Even when I, so when I first began my career, I was on Wall Street, right, with the sharks of investing, right, just sort of the toughest people, really, you know. And it dawned on me early that the services we were providing for them were useful and helpful, and they could maybe do their job without us but we kind of needed each other like and especially in the early stages of startups like wall street is one thing but for startups it's literally like investors can't invest without great entrepreneurs yeah. but entrepreneurs have many many ways of getting those businesses done right mm -hmm. and so a lot of entrepreneurs place the i don't know place investors on a pedestal or or they come in sort of sort of timid or afraid or whatever um, and so one of the things, uh, that I always try to talk about is like find investors who don't make you feel that way. Like we do a lot of education. I do a lot of panels. I spend, I usually preface, especially if it's more like a, uh, something on a term sheet or whatever, I'll be like, you can ask me this question a thousand times. And, uh, like, until you understand I'm here for you, we're going to walk through it. Right. Yeah. And so finding those investors who are. <laughs> Like there to help and educate you is I think really, really important, right? Um, a lot of those folks come from um, alumni groups are really good first way to do it. So a lot of the schools in our area are part of 
uh, they have alumni groups that are also like angel groups. Mm-hmm. And so basically you get to talk to somebody who you already have a connection with. Two alumni talking to each other is better than a stranger and a stranger talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, finding them at pitch competitions is also really good because you're basically, you're not necessarily talking one-on-one to investors, which is a lot of coffee meetings and a lot of time is super expensive. I like to get these one-to-many um, approaches, which again, you know, there's a little bias from me because I run an angel group where, you know, folks come in and now you get 185 eyeballs on you, which is awesome because the expense and time it would take to do um, the same thing, 185, you'd spend your whole year every day fundraising, right? Yeah. And so finding investors from there, like from the standpoint too, is, um, they you know were pretty well known from in terms of angels in terms of like pre-seed and seed vc funds mm-hmm. you might have a little harder time if you wanted to raise from like a family office or something that's a little bit more um hidden <laughs> from, yeah. from publicity um and for you know the best groups don't charge entrepreneurs and I know I might get in trouble for saying this. I know I'm on the record here, but like <laughs> making sure that entrepreneurs have a frictionless way of getting in touch with you, yeah, um, I think is is something that at least I strongly believe in. And uh, I won't call anyone out by name on that or talk yeah. further on it, but just make sure you're you're pairing up with people who have your interest entirely in mind. That seems like such an interesting concept to charge entrepreneurs. Um, and- I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, so I guess from from the investor perspective, how do you guys find entrepreneurs? How do you guys get in touch with, with entrepreneurs? Yeah, uh, a bunch of different ways. So as part with my launch pad hat on, right? 185 members uh, in the area, right? And they basically, they're at the schools they attended or they they you know they're going to the local accelerators or CIC kind of like community spaces related to this and they're sitting on panels they're meeting entrepreneurs before they're even like founders right they're just getting along with people and watching them through time so we have a super active um community around us personally <laughs> and so that sort of funnels them. I see like 1,500, maybe 2,000 companies, I guess, total a year, depending on the year. And so it's a big funnel at the top. For me personally, I've been really lucky to meet a bunch of awesome founders. Uh-huh. And then anytime a founder um, that I've backed or get to really know says, hey, you know, I, I have an introduction for you. I tell them, don't even blind copy me or whatever it is. Like, just send it. Right. Yeah. Don't ask me. Don't double opt in. Just go for it because I trust you. Yeah. And that's how a lot of investors operate. It kind of sucks if you're just getting your network started. Mm-hmm. Um, but founder um, recommendations is one of the biggest things for us. So what about um, like a, a blind email um, just being sent? To, if I just sent you an email with a deck, um, how would you feel about that? Yeah, it depends. We I see a lot of stuff. uh and we have a pretty broad thesis beyond um, geography, right? So if you, for me, it'd be like if you were sending it from some, you know, somewhere else in the in the country or across the world, I might say, you know, hey, we're we're pretty we're pretty locally focused in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, though, especially for VCs, you'll know what they care about, like what their investment thesis is. You can look at former portfolio companies to figure out 
are you in the same ballpark? Is this a consumer or a hardware or a tech player, life sciences or bio? And sort of, if you spend five seconds just looking at what they've invested in the past and tailor your message. Quick Google. Oh, oh my God. Like, and with Chad GBT, you could probably say it. Like, you could probably put these things together like mind bogglingly easy mm-hmm. because you send me something more than maybe a paragraph, I'll, I might glaze over and many investors yeah. do. Short, so, concise. Short, concise, and then just show that you like, there's a reason you're reaching out to me and it's not just cash because my cash is as good as everybody else's mm-hmm. and something that's maybe different about this. Do you, do you ever get people that kind of toe around what they're actually asking? Like they might email you. I'm sure this happens, right? They, they email you and they're like, hey, want some advice? And we're thinking about running this company and not really sure this. Here's this project we've been working on. How do you feel about that? Would you rather people just be like, we, we want your money because of this? Oh, it's a tough one. I mean, I think you could interview 100 investors and get different versions of different answers. Mm-hmm. The... Um, I mean, maybe you've heard this before, but it's like the adage, if you want money, ask for advice. If you want advice, ask for money. <laughs> it's pretty true. Um, but also, if you want money, mm-hmm. like tailoring that to us, I think is pretty pretty important. Because if somebody said, ah, you're like, I'm, uh, here's my deck. Uh, I'm raising this much. I have this much left. We're, we're closing by the end of the week. The odds are very much against me personally. Yeah, doing anything with that email, right? Because one of the things that we are uh, as Launchpad too is sort of like we're more on, you know, you're familiar with value versus like momentum investing. Sure, but maybe maybe it'd be useful to explain still. Yeah, so like um, on the value side, it's it's that fun. It's like the fundamentals of the business is sound. Like we're we're really going in deep with the company. Mm-hmm. Our members are average tenure is about seven years for our membership and about 40 percent of our um, members sit on company boards we take a pretty like active approach both to the companies and to the ecosystem so like 40 percent if i remember of our companies are women or minority led we do a lot of stuff with like social impact all that stuff so we go pretty heavy on it so we we take our time in terms of value investing and looking at fundamentals and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. the opposite of that i guess is an appropriate way of saying it is the momentum investing, riding the trend, valuation agnostic, and sort of just trying to beat others when you have a deal in front of you. Um, so we're normally not uh, pressured into investing quickly. Yeah, uh, Others are, and others make a ton of money, and companies grow really, really well uh, in that space. We we just know where we operate best. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, so... I was going to ask you what are the most important things you notice in a founder and their venture, and you you kind of mentioned product market fit already, but I guess other than that, what, what in general um, kind of sticks out around maybe the way they pitch, um, the way they talk about their business, the way they can you can you tell someone's an executive early on that they can run a company? I guess. Oh yeah, that's a that's a really insightful question. I mean, the number one trait supposedly that investors look for is something called coachability Mm -hmm. right and it's if you're familiar with this this term it's it's pretty self-explanatory right (laughs) it's self-explanatory the hard part is like when you can coach me you can i like that there we go (laughs) the hard part is really like as an entrepreneur being like well okay i am asking 
hundreds of people potentially for money and maybe only half of them will actually invest with me, but they want to see I'm coachable. Yes. Who do I listen to? Is one of the hardest things. Like as an entrepreneur, I was like, oh my God, I need everybody to feel good about what they're saying, but then I need to make my own decision. And actually my um, uh, gentleman who was an investor, then a, a board member of my company and is actually now the chairman of the board of Launchpad, um, told me I wasn't the CTO or the CEO or anything like that. I was the CSO, S as in Sam, because I was the chief synthesizing officer. Uh-huh. And that was my job all yeah. the time. That was my co-founder's job all the time is to bring that together. And as long as you're intently listening and being present, uh-huh. um, I think that goes a long way. And the question is really around like, for me, like why you and why now? Uh-huh. Way less, honestly. I know we talked about product market fit, but like I'm expecting when I invest for you to change your product. You might even change your market, right? So like I 100% at the stage we're at, 100% of our company is pivot some way. (laughs) Yeah. And so I want to invest in you. I want to invest in Justin. I want to understand like how you think about these things when the new data comes along and you need to make a really hard choice of staying the course or changing the course with the money I gave you two years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of what we go into. And especially with Launchpad too, which is interesting, a lot of companies that go through diligence um, with investors talk about financials and market and a little bit on the team and some of us exit kind of stuff. We actually spend a whole bunch of time with entrepreneurs talking about leadership, like mm-hmm. both their leadership traits as they see them and also we have got a bunch of experts on our um, in our group that will ask you questions of like, you know, not not intrusive, but like about childhood or about like how your parents talk to you about certain things and then work with you and educate you on like, ooh, this might be a path you're gonna excel at or hey, that's a tough one. Like be careful when you're in this situation uh-huh. uh, because you might run into some problems uh, in terms of leadership styles colliding or something like that. Yeah, because um, you know, like founders are great founders. They're not always great scalers of businesses. They're not always great exiters of businesses. Yeah, they're really there. You know, especially post acquisition, a lot of founders kind of you know like peace out. You know, because yeah. it's just that's that was me too. I, after a year, I was I had to I had to get out. You know, to go do something else. So yeah, um, so I look for those look for those things. It's way less about. Yeah, I must, we, we often don't really look at demos until much later. And so we understand the pain point and the person behind that. Yeah. I think you brought up an interesting point around, um, kind of collecting data, data points, because if you're running a business, you talk to so many people, not not users, yes, customers and, and investors as well. And so many people are telling you, you know, this is the way you should do it. This is the way you should run your business. And it, it's kind of weird to try and find that fine line of you have to, you have to accept some, you know, criticism, you have to be open, but you also have to, you know, kind of draw the line at some point and decide what, what, what information is valuable, useful, and you know, wh- what are you going to actually stick to or what's your gut saying in some way? Oh, so, oh yeah. And I like one, one way I see this happening when founders get the opportunity to pitch, especially investors, or even honestly, uh, when they're doing early sales is they, I know I'm talking a lot, but I guess that's one of the points of our podcast here. Right? But I tell them like, is you, you're an elephant. 
is is the phrase I sometimes use. So you have two really, really big ears and two really, really big eyes, but just one mouth, right? And you use them in proportion and you try never to forget, right? Elephants never forget concepts. Yeah. So it's like, especially when you're pitching mm-hmm. and if you're in an angel group like ours, people raise their hand, they'll ask you questions. If you spend all of your time in Q&A answering or defending your business against that one question, you're losing the ability to hear 180 other questions. Right. And get that data out of people and get that data out of your clients and out of- You shouldn't want that data. You shouldn't be looking for that data as much as you can. I tell founders uh, all the time when I'm standing on stage, Uh uh, they ask me why I never get uh, flustered or scared. And I say, there's two reasons. One, either I know what I'm talking about in which case I'm good to go, right? Or I have the mic and I'm in control anyway. Yeah. And so if you're in control and you're good to go, you know what's in your head, then what you really need, your one number one goal is always to get that second meeting, which means you got to get through everybody else's head too. So it's um, it's so hard and you get you get worked up and especially early when you're starting to pitch and starting yeah. to sell, you just you, you mess it up. <laughs> Uh, oh, people are people are in that room looking for every fault they can find, right? And so it's um it is probably a pretty a pretty nerve wracking experience to kind of just be on edge a little bit. Um, like what are they gonna what are they gonna find that I haven't thought about yet? Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Like the a lot of people look at like Shark Tank and stuff and assume that that's what's happening when you're meeting one on one with investors or at pitch competitions or any of this kind of stuff. And um. We embody this at launch, but I know a lot of other angels and angel groups do this, but it's more, it's not like your job as an angel is to see a whole laundry list of faults and a whole bunch of unanswered questions and still invest, right? And so what we try to do is turn that, what you said, sort of 180 and say, not, you know, what needs to be believed for this business to succeed? Not like, not, not from this 15 minutes, what's all the things that can go wrong for the next like six years of this company's existence. Yeah, um, it's just a healthier way of doing it. We we actually um, too at Launchpad like we get a lot of feedback from founders that say you guys were professional, you were responsive, you made me feel like inclusive and sort of safe, right? Uh-huh. Because if an investor actually said something like I don't believe you, that's that's not going to work. I'm personally standing up on stage next to the entrepreneur, helping them sort of handle that Q&A and saying, hey, I've done this before. Can you just rephrase that in a question that's a little more respectful? It doesn't happen often. Yeah. It hasn't happened a lot about, and at Launchpad, but yeah. respectful to the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You the, the, pin- there are some egos in this game. Right. Oh, well, and the people you're talking to have made a lot of money or built really awesome businesses or have seen this before and maybe in an industry that like they lost a lot of money in, right? So there's a lot of egos. There's a lot of, um, a lot of moving parts, and a lot of dynamics. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, um, I-, I think it might be helpful to kind of ask you, um, just a couple of questions about the broader industry today. Um, do you have any idea about the numbers around how many startups um, are seeking capital every year, maybe even just the Boston or New England area, and how much money is going out there into early stage pre-seed or seed startups? Yeah, and it's it's one of those things that right now is easier to raise money earlier 
than it is to raise money as like the B or C stage. I don't know the numbers for for those later stage off the top of my head. Um, But one of the things that folks are constantly seeing too is um, the past couple of years has been really, really easy to continuously raise money. Yeah. And where you could look past some cracks in the business you know the sales engine's not quite working product market fit or the need right yeah. isn't there or talent was i could come i could compete for better talent because i had a big pile of cash to go with you could roll out multiple expansion right? multiple expansions yeah. you're constantly raising rounds mm-hmm. a bunch of companies right now as far as i've heard and uh you know we talked about all in earlier i think they've said this before too is about q4 Q3, Q4, maybe Q1 of next year, the runway is going to be done of those rounds. And if you don't have a real business, either you're going out of business or that that bridge round that you're about to walk into is going to really, really hurt the valuation. So mm-hmm. I think regardless of the money that's coming in, focusing on like the fundamentals of your business, trying to get what they call default alive, like make sure profitability is a great metric to go for making sure that when you arrive to your next fundraise you're doing it well ahead of time <laughs> so three four maybe five months ahead of time and you actually have some metrics to point to i think is going to be the real that's going to what that's what's going to make and break this year for a lot of companies i think yeah i i should have asked this earlier but it's okay that i'm asking now i think how much should i raise how much do i know like how how do i know how much to raise right yeah now, that's especially. a good that's a great question um we have a phrase that revenue is actually the best investor. Mm. So the uh, you should try, and this is me talking as a founder, to not raise anything. Yeah. Um, but if you have to raise, again, going back to what we were talking about before, growing into your valuation is something people don't often think about. And I spend a lot of time educating founders on this, right? Just because you can get a good valuation doesn't mean you can use that, you know, grow into your post money, for example. So a lot of companies, you know, let's say you're a pre-revenue company, but your product's done Mm -hmm. and you you think you're awesome and you've got, you know, somehow you were able to get a million dollars in investment at a, you know, $10 million valuation, for example. What company is this? Oh, this happened, right? This this is the past couple of years, right? All this stuff is yeah, I can feel you. I can feel you on this. Like, oh man, I have to go from zero to credibly saying I'm worth 11, at least eleven million dollars before my runway's out, mm-hmm. and then telling that next investor potentially, we can go higher. We uh, trust me, we can go higher, right? And so we spend a lot of time thinking about that as angels. Um, we call it capital staging. Like, how much capital do you have to put into this business? And how do you stage it through time so that the entrepreneur is incentivized, mm-hmm. that the business can grow into it and you don't get caught in like a, God forbid, a down round or in a situation where you have to take money from not great investors and they mess with your terms or something like that. So um, the answer is don't, it's tough. It's tough to give you a binary answer on this, yeah. like yes or no or whatever, but um, don't raise more than you have to, but do raise more than you need to. If you know what I mean. So if you think you need 300K or something at the pre-seed stage, but you're not really sure, 
and try to go for the 500, right? Yeah. One of the best things that entrepreneurs um, can do, and it's awesome, is the concept of oversubscribe around. Uh -huh. When in reality, uh, that's like that's like having a like a discount at a uh, at a clothing store or something. You got a let's say you got a twenty percent off deal, but they just raised the prices yesterday. So I see I see this sometimes. Right, you say, "Oh, we really need two million bucks to be raised." Uh -huh. uh, let's go for one point five. And then say we're we're you know if we get to one point six if it's a tough environment we were oversubscribed but all along we needed two million dollars or something right so playing with the playing with investors in terms of um, making them feel like they're part of a, a really good journey you know not lying to them ever not being an unethical ever no because then you're done you're done yeah you do yeah but massaging the narrative to make sure that you're worth investing in versus the 2,000 other companies. I think that's a founder's right and part of their job, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they continue to do that with the business after, that's great for everyone, right? Uh, absolutely. And as long as they continue to stay incentivized. So it's also really important to say, like, you know, from the early days, let's say you have a co-founder, are you aligning equity in, in the right way? Let's say you have seven co-founders or something. We've seen this before where it's like, well, none of you actually have a large enough ownership stake to really care. So yeah, how do we fix this? Right. That, that That's something that Kevin was really good at on because uh, I remember when we were like deciding ownership early on on this other project that we've been working on for some time, um, I, I, I never really had, you know, any prior experience splitting up like what everyone was worth, but Kevin was really good at being like, okay, What's going to keep you to like want to keep working with yeah. us? And like that made that made those conversations so much easier than any of those like splitting up equity calculators online or anything like that. It was more like you have a gut feeling what you're worth, what will motivate you. Let's go with that. And then everyone's hopefully happy at the end of the day. Um, because like you said, you got to really align expectations um, to hopefully keep the business going. That's kind of the biggest thing is how can you keep people dancing? How can you keep the momentum going, right? Oh yeah, it's funny. This the it, it's it's The next couple of sentences are going to make me feel happy and stressed. I guess right. Uh, startups are really really hard. Being a founder is literally, I think, one of the worst jobs you can possibly do. You're underpaid, <laughs> if not zero. You know, we didn't make, we didn't really pay ourselves for a long time, and you work hard. Everybody's looking at you. You're operating with like no data. And the odds are against you succeeding in general. 80 to 90% of companies fail, right? Yeah. That said, the sort of asymmetric returns you can get from that are one of the reasons people do this. The ability to create their own, you know, quote, debt in the universe to build what they think needs to be built and innovate is almost a reward in its own right. So fulfilling. And think about it now. Like, if let's say we are headed towards a recession, let's say the funding environment stays stays difficult, companies that are just you know features or not or nice to have, they're gonna die. They're just not gonna be able to survive. Yes. Yeah. So the ones, if you start a company, it's like literally the best time statistically to start companies is during these hard times, uh -huh. because then if you can create something that is worth being bought. The big, some of the biggest companies and the biggest exits have come out of companies that started during recessions, during sort of economic downtimes. Ah, oh, is the best time to start a company, in my opinion. 
I, I think they talked about this on All In, and I'll, I'll wrap it up soon, but friction creates success, I think was something along the lines. Um, you know, kind of forcing yourself into uncomfortable environments really get, gets people going and working uh, a little bit harder uh, as opposed to the good times. So, I mean, it makes sense, right? Just from a, a human psychological standpoint, I don't know. And it's funny, we, uh, so we, we were part of Mass Challenge uh, with the local Boston Accelerator um, mm-hmm. when it was in the seaport. I think it's, I think it's moved since then. Uh, and we had a decision to make, stay downtown in Boston and use some of our funds to have like a nice office and everybody's comfortable. We can have lots of meetings and coffee and whatever. Lattes. Lattes, right? Whatever we wanted. Or this opportunity I had lived in, I was living in Newton, Massachusetts at the time. Or, and my co-founder was um, uh, Rock, Roxbury, West Roxbury. Mm-hmm. There is an opportunity to get uh, a building uh, or to join an incubator kind of building in Newton. Okay. Where there's nothing around. There was nothing yeah. around. There was a one pizza place and you're kind of, is one of those ones where you go only go there when you're when you're out of all other options kind of thing. <laughs> um, and just to sort of stay focused and stay, you know, have people come to a centralized spot and be away from the distractions. The building was not nice. So we had like 20 people in one room uh, pressing up against each other, let alone, you know, the broader environments. And all that led to was a diamond, to be honest, just pressure, pressure, pressure the whole time. Uh, and um, some people uh, didn't like it and they moved on to other things. And a lot of people loved yeah. it. Well, the people who want, who really believed, stuck around. I guess is the moral of the story, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, my my last question for you is, uh, I'm wondering if you have any resources that are helpful for founders looking to learn more, um, about uh, raising funding for their venture. Yeah. So, um, I've hawked Launchpad a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the I have two resources connected to us, and then I'll share the arrow with some other good resources. But um, one is, it's really hard, like we were saying, it's hard to meet investors. A lot of VCs, a lot of angel groups make you uh, get referred in, right? Yeah. Which is just another barrier, especially for people that are new to the area or underrepresented or something. It's just like, it's so hard to do it. Yeah. So if, as part of Launchpad, we, we created a separate program called the Catalyst Program, which is basically like, a way to get to know the investor base. Maybe you're raising money, but not, you know, that's not necessarily the goal of this. It's to open up those relationships at the early stages of your company so that folks can watch you through time, maybe intro you to people. Sometimes people do invest, you know, on a safe or something like that. Um, So that's one way. If your company is sort of ready to be magnifying glass a little bit, we don't get too heavy on the catalyst. but we also have, as part of that, our you know, leadership um, created a website called Serif Investor, S-E-R-A-F Investor. So if you if you Google that, and it's like 250 articles on both how investors think, which is great for entrepreneurs, <laughs> as well as things like how to handle a pitch, what should be in the pitch deck, how does diligence work, all that kind of stuff. So you don't even have to talk to us. You can just sort of go there, which is kind of cool. Um, and then in no real particular order, um, while folks like Launchpad or Hub or some other angel groups were, were uh, 
where we see a broader list of opportunities. There's more specialty ones, Greentown Labs or Launchpad or uh, Learn Launch, excuse me, that are like education focused, environmentally climate focused. Um, some of the accelerators I've already mentioned, like Mass Challenge, are incredible resources, especially them for non-dilutive funding. So yeah. in the competition, they don't take any equity. There's a ton of events. So I personally love Startup Boston uh, every year, do a bunch of speaking at like the Capital Network. Many of the banks in our area, like Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic, have free resources, free events. They, I can speak from experience that they don't try to either one of those groups don't try to like upsell you or sell you on your on, on services. They just want to be helpful uh, mm-hmm. for, the, for the future. Um, and then uh, you got to be targeted about these ones, but some of the spaces like uh, Cambridge Innovation Center or Venture Cafe or Venture Lane are there. Uh, I just personally found and why I'm giving a caveat is uh I would sometimes overweight some of the social aspects, let's say, of those (laughs) and forget a little to focus on my business and and network. Um, So if you do those, just go in with a plan in mind. Say that. I I think that's the funniest thing. The Venture Cafe, um, someone sent me that and I didn't know what it was um, until like about a month ago. Yeah, and I was like looking at it and I was like, I'm just like the type of person where I would just get so distracted. I wouldn't be able to go to that. Well, it's, uh, I would... If you do go and I would urge you to try, <laughs> when I went, you could sign up for time slots with some folks and that would give you a little right. anchor. So you go in, you have your like, you meet and greet and you meet whoever is colliding with you. And then you're like, I got to go in five minutes. I have my time slot. So you had, at least you walked away with one thing. Um, and then I hate to say this because I always like to talk about things that actually exist, uh, not things I wish existed. Um <laughs> But one thing that existed when I was coming up in the Boston scene was something called the Hitchhiker's Guide to Boston Tech. And one of the VCs, I won't call them out because they probably know who they are, uh, haven't been updating that in a long time. Uh, I'm not even sure it's up anymore. But what it did is it laid out all of the accelerators, all of the universities, all the funding resources, education, the biggest companies, the acquirers, service providers, all in one spot for folks. So. Mm-hmm. Maybe if if Justin, I've I've two asks of your audience. If I yeah. can, if I can ask them one, if you're thinking about applying anywhere, check out Launchpad number one. Two, if you want to do if you want to team up on revamping the Hitchhiker's Guide to Boston Entrepreneurship, let's open it up from tech to all entrepreneurship. I would happily sign up to help. Oh, yeah. I feel like this is a this is my calling right here. Not gonna lie, I'm I'm looking at this right now. Maybe okay. maybe we'll, we'll we'll chat at some point about. We'll, we'll, oh, we'll, it was amazing, and it was how I found my first found and cold emails uh, quickly. My first, uh, I don't know, maybe twenty investors I didn't know. And we heard back from about half of them just from that resource. Yeah. It was like nice, incredible. So that's amazing. Okay, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um. Thanks for also making sure we don't get hate mail from Venture Cafe. Um, thanks for solving, saving us on that one. I'm not coming after them. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. Um, I think you gave a lot of really helpful advice. Um, and this is a, you know, this is a really difficult part of running a venture. Um, raising money can be confusing and scary. So I hope that you were able to offer a lot of people some insight. Um, lastly, I think what would be, you know, good is if you want to share how people can get in touch with you more specifically follow what you are doing yeah. um that'd be great 
Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm not the biggest you know social media user personally, but you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at the Rich Palmer, mm-hmm. um, or just Rich Palmer, and you'd probably find that there. Um, Launchpad, you'll see a lot of stuff. It's launchpadventuregroup.com. Not the greatest URL, but you know it's one we've had for 20 years, so it's it's there for you. It's weird. Uh, and then uh, my door is perpetually open. It's literally my job and my passion to help entrepreneurs figure this kind of stuff out. Um, and uh, so just re- reach out. Make sure you ask me something. That's actually a really important point. I get a lot of these cold things, and they just there's no question marks in there. They don't, you know. I yeah. I don't want to pretend like I know what you want to ask. Uh, and the more specific, the better. Like feedback on my deck introducing me here how would you get in touch with other angels any of these kinds of things like these are great questions to ask yes are um but that's how i would do it is uh, just reach out through either of those um and if i can't help you i promise i will find someone who can okay nice thank you so much i really appreciate it awesome thank you Justin. Thank you.